0: Welcome to Parlay Me Power Players. This is a podcast that explores the latest entrepreneurs, startups, founders, business leaders, and even enterprises that are changing the game. We call them the disruptors. You might see them as your mentors or maybe even your colleagues, but we are so excited to bring to you Each week, someone we find either fascinating, progressive, or someone that's really making changes in all kinds of industries. We are agnostic in what we cover, so we cover everything from mobility to AI to food and produce, you name it, we cover it, but most importantly, we want to showcase to you entrepreneurs, that are really making a difference and making the world a better place. Hi guys, so welcome to Parlay Me Power Players podcast. We have today a very, and I'll say a very, very special guest. Uh, We have Alyssa Carlson and she's the world's youngest astronaut in training. Yes, she's right here with us today, folks, and I couldn't be more stoked to be speaking to her. Um, I have a brief little intro about you here, Alyssa, so bear with me. Hopefully I've got it all right. you have a, you were the youngest person to complete what's called the NASA Passport program. We speak four languages, and you call the red planet Mars home. You also have a call sign which is Blueberry, and we'll learn what all these things mean hopefully today. And hopefully you can tell me, Alyssa, because I don't know a lot about space, but I'm really excited to have you on the program today, and our listeners can learn more from you. So. Um, She's a global speaker with already three TEDx talks under her belt. She also has her own book titled Astronaut, a Realistic Guide to Becoming an Astronaut at a Young Age and having um, had her first space camp attendance at the young age of seven and since then she's attended 17 space camps. She was also later selected as one of the seven ambassadors representing Mars One. There's a lot of sevens here. (laughs) I don't know if it's your lucky number, Alyssa. Selected as one of the seven ambassadors representing Mars One, a mission to establish a human colony on Mars in 2030. She's also a STEM ambassador and has her own podcast series, so she knows all about podcast folks. Welcome, Alyssa. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. It's really such a treat to have you on the show and um, not only because I'm a big fan of space, although I'm quite the novice, um, I recently had a baby boy and although he's only just two years old, I told him today I will be speaking to hopefully the first woman to go to Mars. So <laughs> it was very exciting in the household here today. Um, Got to get the inspiration going young. Exactly, exactly. So I want to start off um, with a few things, because again, I'm, you know, new to the whole space thing. Um, Firstly, most importantly, what is a call sign?
1: Yeah, so uh, call signs kind of originated more so like in the military. So military pilots would joke around, you know, let's say after a day or whatever, they went to the bar and hung out, whatever it might be. They would kind of have these funny stories and they would end up getting like these nicknames for each other that they would then use to basically replace their first name entirely. So even let's say while they were playing. Uh, flying or whatever it may be they would still use these nicknames um and since and originally so much of the astronaut corps was military pilots they all had call signs and so they all kind of kept them going into the space program um and nowadays astronauts who kind of have no affiliation to the military also gets call signs so it's becoming more universal
0: oh i love it well thank you um for clarifying that and secondly, just quickly, what does STEM stand for or signify?
1: Yes, STEM stands for oh, Science, Technology, okay. Engineering, and Math.
0: Oh, okay. Well, thank you because I, I wanted to know what that was. So thank you. Again, I'm the novice here. So here we go. So I'm glad we got those two things clarified uh, for the non spacey people listening today, but let's get into it. Um, now, you're 19 years old. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. And you have... I did a bit of stalking, as you do before these uh, podcasts, and I saw you had 263,000 followers on Instagram, and you go by the name of NASA Blueberry. Um, Your LinkedIn reads, astronaut in training with Possum Academy, global speaker, future Mars Walker author. Wow, it's just quite astounding. So kudos to you for being 19 and achieved all this. Um, I want to start perhaps when you were 12, if you can speak to our listeners about when you were selected for a panel about reaching Mars in 2030, I think this might be a nice place to start. Um, how did you get recruited for this panel? And then how did this kind of launch your dream of getting to Mars?
1: Right, yeah, definitely that panel that I spoke on um, for NASA was definitely a pretty big game changer, I would say, um, up to that point. So anything before that was really me just going to space camp and space camp isn't, you know, 100% can I guarantee you to be an astronaut or anything. Space camp was just an easy way for me to learn as much as I wanted to about space and be able to educate myself more, understand, maybe even figure out, you know, which career path I would want to go into. And from going to space camp, um, you know, by 12, I had gone several times and I had gotten pretty acquainted with the people there. Um, And that's kind of how the panel thing emerged just from all the people I had spoken to at space camp over and over again. And of course, they all knew about my dream of becoming an astronaut and how deeply passionate I was about it. And um, basically for the panel, they were talking about uh, a lot of the rovers that had already gone to Mars and then also looking at the future of Mars. Um, And so they wanted to have somewhat of a representation of the future of Mars because the other panelists uh, were like PhDs as well as an astronaut. They also had, you know, people who were working on the Mars rovers. And so they just really wanted a future perspective. But definitely me being on the panel, definitely raised some eyebrows, I would say, because people were trying to figure out who in the world is this 12 year old talking about Mars and talking about all these very specific and technical things. And so, yeah, that's definitely where a lot of things started from that point.
0: It's fantastic. It sounds like they've just, you know, snowballed since then. So tell me, um, from my understanding, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, um, does it take around two months to actually get to Mars? Is that correct?
1: Uh, it's a little bit longer than that, actually. Right now we're looking at, with current technology, it's going to take about six months to get there um okay. however we do we do know that we have the technology we have the engines to actually mm-hmm. reduce that time to six weeks but oh, wow. that technology has to continue to be developed and you know made safe and everything um so the first missions to mars we are actually planning on using those engines but in the future we will get to that point
0: wow okay so let's just say six months two months whatever it is it's not so long. I mean, it's pretty long, but let's just say it can take a lifetime for some astronauts to actually get there, i.e. getting accredited, getting the training, getting the certification, as you pointed out in your journey and in your lots of your TEDx speeches. Um, You have a lot on your plate as a 19-year-old. Can you talk about how you got to where you are today? And generally, you know, generally if you're recruited for NASA, right, you have to go have a university degree and like you've, you've mentioned yourself, you've, you're pretty much old by the time you, you make it to space, right? How does a 19-year-old like yourself um, get there, well, you know, get accredited uh, now to be a training astronaut?
1: Yeah, so essentially what I'm doing is basically what you would do for any job that you're interested in. So I'm basically building a resume and building new skills and um, building, you know, up my education and everything to eventually apply to the astronaut selection process. Um, And so... That, um, you know, like I said, it's kind of the same with any job, but definitely going to space it can be slightly more intense than maybe some other job careers. But basically, I guess what you're saying in terms of like being uh, certified and that kind of thing. So through Possum, um which is where I've done the majority of my realistic training. Uh, is where I'm actually certified for suborbital space. So I'm not necessarily certified to go and stay in space um, for quite some time, but I am certified for a suborbital mission. So that would be if I was going to do a research mission and
0: went to basically the edge of space and came back. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. So what is um, Project Possum? Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, so Project Possum is basically, well, Possum, technically stands for polar suborbital science in the upper mesosphere, which is oh, okay. basically yeah. just, <laughs> it's basically just a really complicated way of saying science in the upper atmosphere. Um, so basically, through the different levels of the atmosphere, at a very high level, there is a type of cloud that they've been studying um, that hasn't, you know, been discovered for, you know, maybe discovered in the past 10 years or so. Um so that's kind of their main research that they do. And the ultimate goal would be to actually have a suborbital mission to go up and collect a sample of the cloud and you know do research and then come back. So that's why a lot of their a lot of their stuff also relates to suborbital spaceflight training because eventually that is their goal. Um, But at the same time, they also do other research. So basically, it's just a way to get involved and get citizens involved in uh, research, because we also do stuff with testing spacesuits, microgravity flights, um, all sorts of crazy uh, different trainings.
0: Wow. So um, is it part of NASA or is it a separate um, academy or uh, school, so to speak, or space school? Um, so
1: um they're not directly so they're not directly affiliated with nasa in any way they are supported by nasa so like the research that they do is supported but we are not necessarily like
0: connected to nasa in any way okay got it okay cool so um if i'm correct you're currently studying you're in your are you in your first or second year of astrobiology in florida is that correct
1: Yeah, so I I just finished up um, this past semester, my first year at Florida Tech studying astrobiology. So I guess that means Uh, I'm technically a sophomore now.
0: (laughs) Okay, so this was your first year. So um, I guess what was the biggest challenges I wanted to ask you and opportunities you discovered at college? Because Going to college is a big deal for anyone, let alone someone like yourself that brings so much experience. You're not your average first year um, astrobiology student. Um, I I guess, you know, you have the fame as well to deal with. Um, You have, uh, I guess, a lot of pressure that most 19-year-olds wouldn't have. Um, And also we have this thing called coronavirus, which has kind of turned everything upside down. So I'd love to just hear from you kind of what the challenges and opportunities you've had um, this year uh, whilst doing uh, college life.
1: Yeah, definitely. I was looking forward to college so much. I was very excited to be able to go down there and start studying what I was interested in. Um, it's definitely, I guess, the the last couple of years of high school was pretty tough because I was already involved with Project Possum, and you know, I had spent you know week, a week at in Brie Riddle University doing like space related things, and basically it was almost making me feel as if I was already in college, but I would have to go back to high school. Um, so I was, I was looking forward to college very much, and it was a really great first year, um, to be honest. I mean, it was definitely full of a lot of challenges, just kind of readjusting to what college actually is, and actually, you know, being involved in it, and all the classes and stuff that I was taking. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a whole new experience, um, but yeah, I the first semester was definitely just a lot of readjusting, a lot of getting used to what was going on. Um, a lot of trying to understand chemistry. You know, it's always a fun ride. Um, yes. and definitely, definitely the second semester um, was going pretty well as well. Like you said, with coronavirus and stuff, having to um, not necessarily do face-to-face classes and switch everything to online. Uh, so I ended up just coming home and I spent the rest of the semester at home, which I guess was okay. It kind of is what
0: it is. Um, yeah. Has, has its minuses and plus its, its, its advantages home-cooked meals is great <laughs> but if you're anything like me I go a bit stir crazy if I'm in the same place for too long and I'm sure if you're a budding astronaut you love to get out there so yeah I can imagine it's challenging um but you but you're doing all right you how so you you're doing online classes and it's all kind of working
1: Yeah, no, all the online classes went pretty well. I finished off the end of the semester pretty well. I'm even taking um, two summer classes actually at the moment. So not much has to change from when I was technically in school to quote unquote summer um, because I'm still in the house and still doing classes. But um, at least it's only two now instead of, you know, a whole bunch. Yeah,
0: well, that's a whole lot of dedication. So um, congratulations. i I saw you uh, You mentioned, um, and I'm not sure it may have been earlier this year or late last year, but you mentioned that there were like 70% men and only 30% women on campus um, within your field of study. Um, do you see this changing in the future? And if so, why? And if not, why not?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, Florida Tech is a very um, STEM, a very sciencey school, um and so with that there definitely is a pretty high percentage of male population just on campus in general um but yeah it definitely is something that of course we would like to see changed um and you know inspiring girls to get more interested in different science careers um because there really is so many and there's really so many opportunities uh for different careers that girls can get into and I think one big thing that will eventually help with this is just really kind of like as a society, kind of getting away from the more, I guess, stereotypical jobs, you know, when Mm -hmm. someone's asking about jobs that they can go into, not always just being the same, you know, doctor, lawyer, whatever the, you know, main ones that are always mentioned, but getting some of, I guess, the more like diverse and the more like unique jobs um like showing people what opportunities that they have because that could definitely spark other dreams as well
0: absolutely I remember when I was in class um I was quite young um i might have been in grade four or five even we did a round table like what do you want to be when you're older and I'm a lot older than you, Alyssa, I won't give away my age, but I said then I wanted to be a nanny, you know, like a a babysitter. That was what I wanted to be. And that just shows kind of, you know, the mentality for back then. That's kind of what I thought I was going to be. Well, I've been a lot Many different things than a nanny, but it's really interesting. So things have changed, and I, I I think things will change in the future. At least I hope so. And people like yourself definitely champion it. So thank you. Um, I wanted to quickly say I was at Dublin Tech Summit last year, and I know you did a keynote there. Um, I missed your speech. I have to apologize. I was in the press room, and you barely get a chance to get out of the press room when you're back there. Um, but I saw that you got a good old selfie with um with uh, hadfield chris hadfield um tell me what was it like to hang out with him and and two questions really do you get to hang out with these legendary um astronauts or is it just when you bump into each other at big events like that
1: yeah it was definitely a whole lot of fun um it was my first time meeting chris hadfield um so i was definitely really excited because knowing so much about him but it was really cool so basically he was rehearsing for his speech that he was going to be doing and um he was singing a song at the beginning or oh, whenever
0: awesome in his fantastic
1: so, yeah well, now for,
0: the, for those listening we should probably tell um, people right Alyssa? for those listening in case you don't know who chris hadfield is he's the first canadian to walk in space um and he's flown i think two space uh, shuttle missions and served as commander of the international space station so you know and he sings amazingly on a guitar on a big stage, which just blew me away. So, But yes, carry on. I want to know what it was like. So you got to go backstage and meet with him?
1: Yeah. So basically, we just went into the big auditorium um, when he was basically rehearsing, setting up all the sounds and stuff for his guitar and the microphone audio. Um, so it was a whole lot of fun um, because actually, the way my flight was booked, I wasn't actually going to be able to listen to his speech live and so it was really cool to be able to see him like sing and like jam out for a minute um since you know I wouldn't be able to hang around for the speech um yeah and then after that we chatted for a while took the took the selfie um and yeah just kind of hung out and chatted it was so much fun um it's definitely sometimes intimidating like meeting some of the astronauts and kind of, like, explaining a little bit about, like, what I do, Um, but definitely throwing, like, a couple big words, and they're, like, they're, like, oh, okay, like, they, like, you know what you're talking about, (laughs) and so it's definitely super cool, just kind of, like, go through that experience.
0: Nice, and have you met many of the, these astronauts, Um, you know, do you get to get, I mean, you get in contact with them, or have, you know, um, any interaction with them at all? Be yeah,
1: yeah, well. I've met um, a good bit of astronauts so far. Obviously, some of them I'm closer to than others, and some I've met, you know, hundreds of times, and others, you know, only once. Um, but so, yeah, no, I've definitely met a good bit of astronauts at this point, but they're all so nice to talk to and so inspiring, so it's always nice to have a good conversation with them.
0: Excellent, excellent. So um, I want to talk to you just briefly about kind of like uh, the big uh, F word, and that is fear um you know one of the biggest roadblocks people have to pursuing their careers and dreams um is fear you know fear of the great unknown um you were recently on the cover of bright light magazine which i think is a biannual uh, magazine if i'm correct um and you had an article which was pretty much about fear addressing fear and tackling fear um you know you get up on stages with thousands of people and speak at events and you know, you're, you're um, on the path to go into the great unknown, which is space. Um, to people listening, um, you know, how have you tackled fear and what advice would you give to people that, you know, are roadblocked by fear, so to speak, which is stopping them from progressing?
1: Yeah, definitely fear is something that's, can be pretty frequent in doing all these crazy trainings or even, in general, going to space. Um, And for me, I've never necessarily had a fear of going to space or of the things in space. And I think that's just because of how much I've learned about space and especially going out and meeting so many of the people who work in the space industry. You can talk to someone who works in the space industry for just a few seconds and you can automatically see their passion for what they're doing and you can always see how important safety is to them and so I think with those things you know I have a whole lot of trust in the space program and so that kind of that kind of is alleviated a lot of the fear in terms of actually flying to space and being in space and that kind of thing but as far as you know any other little fears whether it's for I'll give you a good example, like when I did my water survival training, we um, we like the very first day they basically put us in this like built contraption thing, but basically it was like a seat in the middle, and then they had like PVC pipes kind of around us, and we had yeah. a makeshift window on one of the sides, so it was supposed to represent like a seat. Uh, in sort of some kind of vehicle. And so they would grab onto the thing and flip it underwater. And we had to hold our breath, push out the window, unbuckle ourselves from the seat and pull ourselves out. And um, that, of course, caused a lot of fear, I would say, Um, just because obviously you think you're going to drown or whatever. Um, And so definitely for me, it's always been, having to just really fight through it the first time in terms of fear. So for me, once I get something done one time, I'm able to do it you know several times after that. but it's always uh, fighting through that one time and pushing through whatever it is that first time as fast as you can to know that, yeah, I'm gonna like survive from this. it's not. It's not really that scary in the end. So definitely just try to fight fear head on and just
0: jump through it. Yeah and that's interesting because it's uh, you know fear is essential right it's you know it's it's navigating that fear so you need that kind of fight flight um kind of response if you will um but you just need to have great control over it which obviously astronauts do so yeah no it's fantastic so um I listened to some of your podcasts um that you have online I think you have four of them and they're um they profile a lot of the incredible TED talks you've given Um, Something that really stood out to me um, was your belief that we're all global citizens, yeah, and we're all one. Um, Can you explain how this mentality has grown and what this means, what social responsibility means to you? I guess especially today, um, where we're in the midst of enormous global health challenges and, you know, uprisings in regards to global injustice. Um, Yeah, I was just hoping maybe you could talk just a little bit about what you, you know, elaborate on what it means to be a global citizen for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up, so I went to a international immersion school, which is where I learned all of my languages. So basically, we learned all of our subjects in four different languages. And with that, all of our teachers were native to the country that they were teaching. So If, you know, you were teaching Spanish, you had to be from South America or Spain, and so with that, my school was uh, densely populated with people from all over the world, and the point of the school was not only to learn the languages, but also learn the culture, so for example, one day in French class, we may have a traditional French breakfast one day, or whatever it might be, and so learning so much about different cultures and different languages and stuff um, and being around so many people from all sorts of different parts of the world and growing up through that definitely was, I guess, the initial thing leading into um, me being so for, I guess, unity across the globe. And at the same time, you know, when talking about a mission to Mars, I think ideally for the mission to Mars, it would be, you know, an international mission. It would be super awesome if we could have it, where, you know, you would have a NASA astronaut, a Russian astronaut, an ESA, which is the European Space Agency astronaut, maybe a Chinese astronaut, whatever it might be, but just having an international mission, so it's as if the world is going to Mars, not one country, not one agency, but we're achieving something as massive as traveling to a new planet, but as a planet.
0: Wow. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Wow. Well, that is a def- different level of global, uh, you know, citizenship. <laughs> so it's fantastic. Um, you went to yeah Baton Rouge International School. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Wow. It looks like sounds like a fabulous school. Um, and it equipped you with some great skills. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about mentorship just quickly. Um. You mentioned, and again, I was listening to your podcast, which I love. Um, You mentioned that you went to space camp once and you were, you got an award called the Right Stuff Award. And that's when your dad kind of, it, it, you know, the bell dropped, so to speak, your dad realized, hang on, she's got what it takes to uh, make this, to become an astronaut. Um, You talk about mentorship and what it means to you. Um, can you talk about how important it is um, to have a mentor and um, your father's role in that?
1: Yeah, there's definitely been, you know, several people as I was growing up that um, have kind of helped along the way. Some of it, you know, offering some advice as things to study or, you know, things, different skills that I should get um, if I have hopes of becoming an astronaut. So that was definitely a huge And at the same time, I've always believed, you know, it's super important to have at least one person that supports you. Um, For me, obviously, it's been kind of my dad along the way, just because he's traveled with me with everything, gone to space camp with me, all those crazy things. But I've always felt that it's always important to have at least one person. So whether that is, you know, a parent, a teacher, a friend, whatever it might be, but having that one person. So I've been super lucky to kind of have my dad travel along with me and be with me everywhere I've gone. Um, And then also just talking, uh, you know, some astronauts along the way at the same time have been huge inspirations for adding that extra level of motivation for me to keep going, basically. Um, So yeah, it's definitely been super amazing to have so many people um, kind of help and give their insight to what is a pretty crazy
0: dream. Absolutely. And Wow! I, I kudos to your father because I was thinking this morning. Because I've only become a mother myself recently, it's a whole new world. Thinking, what if my son became an astronaut? Of course, I would love it, but I'd also be terrified. I'd be like, "No, you've got to stay here on Earth." You know, like it's a it's a big deal to encourage your your child to go into the great unknown. So your dad's very brave, as as are you. Um. So really quickly, you know, you know, um, you're you're nineteen, um you know, between battling intergalactic space missions and um, you also have a myriad of brand deals that you juggle from BMW to SodaStream um, to I think you're even designing your own space travel brand at uh, one stage with Horizon Studios. Um, How do you select which brands to partner with and um, how involved are you in the creative process?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, each situation is kind of different. So for for example, SodaStream, it was just, um, you know, being in uh, one commercial, one Super Bowl commercial with them, which obviously was really, really exciting. Um, but yeah, it was just basically they were doing a space related and Mars specific Super Bowl commercial, and they wanted at least like a little bit of realism added to their commercial. And so that was kind of with that. But um, yeah, in terms of I guess, like picking companies and that kind of thing um for example like with horizon studios a lot which is the luggage company um a lot of that was you know talking about space tourism and how space tourism is really building up in terms of uh just virgin galactic looking at going to space and that kind of thing and so it's been pretty pretty exciting to be involved with all these things, but also um, being able to, I guess, raise more awareness of space and of Mars in general, just because when I was younger, Mars wasn't even a conversation that we were talking about, and looking at even just social media or media in general now, Mars is blasted everywhere from TV shows to commercials to, you know, you name it, and Mars is kind of there, and so it's been really exciting to kind of see that progression and see these companies get interested in wanting to promote space and promote Mars because the only way we are going to get to Mars is to actually have all of the support from the public to actually push us to get there.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, obviously NASA was the driving force and is the driving force for space uh, expedition. Um, But, you know, the privatisation or rather, you know, you've got the Virgin Galactica's, And the SpaceX's, they've really brought it to, I guess, a commercial forefront for people. So it becomes a little more attainable, so to speak. Um, I saw that, um, you know, you spoke of changing the paradigm um, of, you know, uh, becoming an astronaut and how you've done that, I guess, you know, it's breaking down walls and barriers. um, It's everything from training to everything. Can you tell us a little bit about the types of, training and endurance and things a little bit more I know you spoke to the water survival training but what else do you need to do in order to become an astronaut um it's just fascinating for myself and and our listeners yeah
1: so some of the trainings that I've done so far um is like I mentioned the water survival training which not only was just so we learned basic water survival and then we also learned um kind of water survival, more, I guess, related to space, so we had a mock-up capsule, and we basically learned how to escape from a capsule after it, you know, returns from space, and so we were in spacesuits, and we were learning how to swim in spacesuits, how to get into a life raft in a spacesuit, and all of those things that, you know, we hope wouldn't happen, but just in case it would And some of the other things I've done as far as like decompression training, so learning my personal symptoms in case, you know, let's say there is a leak, and it's like a small leak, so it's not very noticeable, and the cabin is losing oxygen. So learning your own personal symptoms to that, so you're able to realize when you need to put on an oxygen mask, Um, the microgravity flights were... Um, mainly for other research projects, but just in general, getting to feel what microgravity is like, getting to feel what it's like to float was definitely pretty, pretty cool. Um, I will say that. Um, And then as well as just different G-force training, so feeling different uh, amounts and levels of G-force. So actually the highest I've gone is about 4.2 Gs. So that basically can be represented as if four of me was sitting on top of me is kind of what 4g's would feel like um so just kind of feeling what that kind of pressure is because when we take off and go to space you're gonna have a good bit of force pushing against your body
0: wow it's so intense wow and you have to be pretty fit for it right like it's uh you know how's your health like do you have to be on a special diet or exercise regime or what's the You know, when you actually before you like to prepare for space or is it, you know, what's involved there?
1: Yeah, definitely. You do have to be, you do have to be, you know, relatively fit. Um, Right now at the stage that I'm at, I'm not necessarily at a point of having to be on a specific diet or specific workout routine consistently. Um, But just in general, staying fit. You know, when you're applying to the astronaut selection process, you do have to pass the NASA physical so right. obviously, when you're going to apply, you have to do, I guess, somewhat of a level of preparation. If you want to be considered selected, you know, you would want to prepare as best you can to be able to pass all of the physical things that they might put you through.
0: Got it. Got it. So um, it, last year in October, it was the first ever NASA spacewalk uh, by women. Um, how did that make you feel? And did you get to meet any of those women astronauts that went on that spacewalk?
1: So, I do not believe that I've actually met them, but it was definitely super cool to see. Um, it's kind of crazy how long we've had the International Space Station up and running, and that we actually haven't had, you know, two females go on a walk. So um it's pretty crazy that we are now at a point where, um you know we can do that and that we have done that um but definitely it's just paving more and more of the way that you know getting more female astronauts getting more girls involved in science careers in general um they're they're starting to fill up the uh fill up the astronaut core, and hopefully fill up all the different space
0: careers throughout the space program absolutely so um you know the plan is uh, well NASA's plan is to get there by 2030. I, I as I understand is that correct? Is that the current plan, <laughs> or it probably change? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So the plan right now that uh, NASA is leaning towards is to go back to the moon in 2024 or around that time. Um, mm-hmm. But the goal right now is 2024. Um, and so we'll start returning to the moon, and that is all in preparation for a mission to Mars, which they do hope to achieve in the early 2030s. Um, so, possibly 2033 around that time. But in general, the early 2030s is the area of time that they're looking at. But obviously, all of those dates can kind of be shifted um, either earlier or later, just kind of depending on what's all going on. But you know, they've already kind of have the first rocket for the most part built they have the center core part built you know they have the capsule and all and so they're just really going through a few more testings and soon very soon uh the sls will be ready to take its launch maybe you know the first one may not necessarily be with people but in preparation to then add people
0: fantastic um so i guess the big question is why mars well we know it's it's the next frontier right but um, people like Elon Musk um, say they plan to send 1 million people to Mars by 2050 by launching three Starship rockets every day and creating a lot of jobs <laughs> on the red planet. Um, Elon's, uh, you know, his, his uh, vision of building a city on Mars. Um, what are your thoughts on Elon and his quest?
1: Yeah, Elon is a very interesting guy. He has such crazy ideas and such things that you just think would never work, but somehow he makes them work, and it's pretty incredible to see what all his company has been able to achieve. He's also been such a visionary in terms of saving money in the space program. It's been absolutely incredible what he's done, you know. Um, for, you know, anyone who recently watched the SpaceX launch, um, not too long ago, a few days ago, um, as you can kind of see is basically the rocket has the first stage, a second stage, and then the capsule. So the first stage actually, when it detaches, it comes back and lands vertically on a boat out in the ocean. And the amount of precision and just all the technicalities that go into that, especially landing a giant rocket vertically, is absolutely incredible. And the way he's actually managed to do that. And then also that part can be used, I think, up to 10 times or something crazy like that, which he hopes to actually extend that to be able to use it even more than that. But the fact that he's been able to do you know, all these things that we've thought, you know, never could happen, um, really doesn't, it's really kind of hard because obviously NASA right now is kind of the forefront in looking at missions to Mars, but you definitely cannot underestimate what
0: Elon Musk and his team will do. Absolutely. Well, sounds like he's saving money and he's also sustainable, <laughs> recycling those rocket uh, ships, which is great. Um, now, just kind of a bit about you quickly in the future for yourself. Like you have a um the Blueberry Foundation, um set up to give kids a foundation to fulfill their dreams. Can you maybe tell us just a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so the foundation kind of originated just because I was going to space camp so often and I was just seeing how much it was benefiting my knowledge of space and also benefiting me kind of figuring out what kind of career I would want to pursue in space. So I wanted to kind of give kids that same opportunity. Um, And so more recently, the foundation has been dealing a good bit with um, kind of like groups of kids in other countries. So we recently had like a group of like thirty kids from Mexico go to space camp, and another group of fifty kids from Argentina go to space camp. So it's definitely allowing as well these kids and other countries to be able to get more exposure. Those countries that may not have quite as a developed space program, but you know, teaching them about space and teaching them about what all it takes and what different careers are available to them, um, and hopefully inspiring them to continue. To pursue their space interests.
0: I love it. So um people listening to this, they can find out more information on that, Carlsoncom Is that right? You've got it on your website there?
1: Uh yeah, it should all be under nasablueberry.com.
0: There you go, nasablueberry.com, folks. Okay, perfect. Um, I know we've got a little bit over time. I have one uh very important question for you, Alyssa. What's next for Alyssa Carlson? And well it's two questions. When will we see you in Mars?
1: Yeah, definitely the next steps, obviously, is just staying in school, continuing my education, um, going through and getting a master's since they um, recently upped the requirements, I would say, to a degree of having to have a master's, which I was kind of planning on doing anyway. Um, And then as well as just continuing to work with Project Possum and building and going and doing different researches, building you know, training skills and that kind of thing, um, as well as building up other skills. So currently, I have my pilot's license, but I want to continue and get my instrument rating. You know, I've done. I'm currently like an advanced scuba diver, but possibly looking at going up to master diver and just different skills that I have, just continuing to build on them and constantly searching for anything new that I feel like would benefit. And the goal, you know, would to be on those missions to Mars in the early twenty thirty. So hopefully, I get there.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'm sure you will. And we will follow your journey with anticipation, Alyssa. Look, I thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute joy having you on here. And if folks want to get in touch with you, the best way is to probably uh, stalk you on Instagram or find you on LinkedIn. Um, Is there any particular channel that you prefer people to connect with you?
1: Um, Not necessarily. I mean, the website has connections to all different social medias, but basically all social media is under NASA Blueberry. Um, Twitter has a one at the end. TikTok has a one at the end. But for the most part, everything's just NASA Blueberry if you search it.
0: Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Alyssa. And uh, we will follow your journey and we we can't wait to parlay it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.